Thanks, guys. Hey, good morning, Salem. Glad you guys are here. This is a a fun Sunday. I mean, we're coming out of on the edge of Easter season, and God is at work, and, you know, it's our expectation and and prayer and hope that God is, you know, at work both in us and and through us, and, uh, you know, um, I don't know about you guys, but watching those those videos of people worshiping, brothers and sisters worshiping uh, God, you know, in a a totally other country, and it's a spot that, you know, that we actually have influence because of the partnership we have. It's just incredible, and it just gets my heart going to think about the way that uh, missions can really open us up to the to the bigger even idea of mission and how God has called us to, to live on mission uh, globally and locally. And so we're in this uh, series called uh, For uh, This uh, City. And so we're going to dive into that in a second. Uh, my name is Seth. I'm one of the pastors uh, here. I want to just add uh, my welcome uh, to the, all the welcome that you've already gotten. We have a great, great church, great family. And so hope that you guys continue to get connected. So welcome to you who are online uh, as as well. So um, I don't know, um, honestly, I really don't know if these are still a thing or not. Um, just maybe I'm just out of, out of touch. But how many of you guys have ever watched uh, a show kind of like a fixer-upper um, where uh, people buy a house that they want to renovate? Okay, okay, great. A lot of you. Are those, are those still a thing, those shows? Great, cool. All right. <laughs> I should go watch some, right? Um, so, uh, so here's here's why I say that because um, this is the, it's just it's just interesting. Uh, to me, the way that these oftentimes play out, because here's oftentimes the case, here's what oftentimes happens, is that a couple walks through the doors of this house, uh, and, and that what they find in front of them is something uh, maybe very, like they have this full expectation that it needs to be redone, and that it needs to be flipped, and redone, and remade to made into the home of their dreams, and yet these people are always caught off guard, and caught by surprise, like at the ruin in this place, right? And so just imagine with me, I'm just going to over exaggerate for a moment here, okay? So let's just imagine that you're that, those people or that person, and you walk through uh, the door, and, and the, the moment that you walk in, you are confronted um, with a massive hole in the floor, okay? So you walk in, and here's what you see. You don't see the floor. You see the basement, <laughs> Okay, and so you see that, and then as your as your head kind of looks up, and you look across the way, you see the windows are all shattered and broken, and and uh, the kitchen is just in ruin. I mean, there's nothing good about it. Like you wouldn't want to even make a PB and J on it. Okay, like that's how bad it is. Um, the wall to the left is is exposed, and and wires are coming out of the wall, and and you know, and it's just you, like you're overwhelmed by the ruin of this place. Okay, now picture, though, that around the corner comes the contractor, and he comes around the corner, and he looks at you with a smile and grin and says, so what do you think? Is this the one? And you're like, no. <laughs> no, no, this is not the one. <laughs> I can tell you. He's like, no, here's what you need, here's what you need to know, um, is that when you enter in, like, this is all going to be replaced, the, the floor is going to be this nice wood floor, whatever you want it to be. Uh, and as you enter in, like, you'll look up and you'll see, and there's the kitchen, and it's going to be all like that island the way that you want it, and it's going to have the appliances that you want, and, and this wall over here, like, don't even worry about that wall, because it's going to be gone. Like, we're going to take that out, we're going to open this thing up, and, and he goes, like, trust me, I can make this the home of your dream. And, and, and this is you, uh-huh, uh-huh, you're just staring at the floor, like, staring, like, you can't even get past the hole in the floor. Uh-huh. What do you say? No, can't see it. I'm out. I'm done. 
right? And so here's, here's what's interesting, right, is that the architect or the contractor, whoever this guy is, what he's doing is he's painting a picture. He's painting a picture for you as this potential homeowner to look at this place and to see it in its total rebuilt fashion. And yet that's hard, for us. Well, it's easy for him because he knows what it will look like. He has the skill set. He knows how much material it will take. He has the right team to do it, and he's done it before, right? So he knows what he needs to do and that he can make this, and he's saying, just trust me that I can make this the home of your dream. And the reality is, is that for us in that environment, we look at that, and we have a hard time seeing the vision of what it could be because we can only see what it isn't. We can only see the dilapidation, the ruin, the brokenness, right? The mess of this place that's right in front of us. And here's, the, here's what's interesting to me is that we come, we're coming out of a week of Easter, right? And we celebrate. So for a couple of weeks, we've been celebrating and anticipating and celebrating the resurrection of Jesus and all of the forgiveness, the eternal life, the, the beauty that he brings, this joy and hope that he brings into our life. And yet here we are a week removed and the reality is, is that for many of us, the struggle that we had last week is still the struggle we have this week, right? And so the further we get away from Easter, right, it doesn't always change the fact that I still have this ruin and rubble in my life. Like, I can go, man, praise Jesus. God is so good. He's so great. And then we get to the next week, we're like, man, life is hard, and there's this struggle that we're faced with. And the reality is, is that there's probably not a person who understands this better than Jeremiah. Because what God is going to do is that God is going to enter into the dilapidation and the ruin of Jerusalem and into the ruin and the, and the desolation of Jeremiah's life. And he's going to help him see past the rubble, and he's going to point him to the great and hidden things that God has in store for Jeremiah and for the city, okay? So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it and turn to uh, Jeremiah chapter 33. By the way, we're almost done with this series, only a couple weeks left. There's a lot of chapters, I know, but we're just going to do a couple of short ones. And so here we are in Jeremiah 33. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there's one in the pew, and if you don't have a Bible, at home, snag it, take it home with you. That's our uh, gift to you, okay? So while you're turning uh, there, uh, just a couple of uh, quick things, kind of this general context, right, is that uh, Jeremiah is a collection of stories. It's known as an anthology, which means that if you read it from beginning to end, it's not going to be in chronological order, so it might feel a little weird. And so the way that Jeremiah and his, his basically writer person, you know, put it together is different or unique. Uh, but what we find is that in chapter 32 and 33, these are in sequence. And in 32, what happens is much like Pastor James, um, Jeremiah is actually thrown in prison, for teaching, you know, bad things, like quote-unquote mean things, like the king's like, I've had enough of you, into prison you go, okay? So while the rest of this book, or the bulk of this book is dealing with the idolatry uh, of God's people and the exile of the people, this actually takes place in Jerusalem at the moment of Babylon's conflict or their siege against the city. And so we're going to focus in on Jeremiah in the city of Jerusalem in the midst of this moment, okay? So here we go. Jeremiah 33, verse 1. 
The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time, hence the first time in chapter 32, while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. Court of the guard. Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, uh, the Lord is his name. Now, I want to pause there for a second because what God is going to do is that he's going to invite Jeremiah into the plan that he has for the city uh, and therefore ultimately for the world. It's going to be this big, massive plan that he's, that he's pointing towards. But before he invites Jeremiah into this plan, into this secret special plan, here's what he does is that he says, uh, by the way, I created everything. <laughs> Like, don't forget who I am. And I think that for us, um, it's easy, and even for me, right, it's easy for us to sometimes miss um, the, the majesty and the largeness, the greatness, the grandness of who God is. And he's like, hey, just reminder, I have this plan, but don't forget, I created everything, and all of this plan revolves around what I want it to revolve around right? And so he says, I created the earth. And so if you go back to that creation story, right, as God brings everything into existence, it's like he takes that and he brings it and he weaves it and then he forms it. And, you know, all of a sudden here you got, you've got earth and earth is this, you know, tiny, you know, like, you know, like pea-sized planet in the midst of billions within galaxies, which are within billions of other galaxies. It's this tiny little planet, and God says, I created this. I formed it. But here's, here's the key. As he says, when I, when I do this, when he says, I wanted to establish it. And in Hebrew, the word establish at its core means, it means to accomplish. And so what God says is that I created everything. And on this tiny little pea-sized planet, which is one of billions or trillions of things, I have this plan. This is the sphere where I am going to enact and establish and, and, and create this plan that's going to impact and generate this, this beautiful message that's going to impact the entire cosmos. It's going to go from here all the way to the ends of the universe, which our brains just ultimately can't comprehend, right? He says, I have a plan that I have set out to accomplish. And so for us as humans, um, oftentimes we hear that and we go, yep, okay, you know, maybe that's true. I, I get that. Um, but God, what about you said you were doing this and it feels like you're doing this? Does anybody else feel that? Like you, like, you look at God, and you're like, you're talking with God, and you're like, hey, like, dude, uh, you said you're going to do this, and yet it feels like everything in my life is the opposite. Is it just me? No. Okay, great. Brady is with me. <laughs> Us two pastors, I guess, are the only ones, right? You know, here's this deal. Like, we, we, we go, gosh, like, God, like, come on. Like, are you doing something different right here? Like, because it feels like you're doing the opposite, right? And so what God says in this moment, what, he, what God, I think, is subtly communicating to Jeremiah is this, because Jeremiah is going to be sitting in the destruction of the city, and God is saying, gosh, I created everything, and I'm allowing for destruction to happen. I can also recreate it. And by the way, what he's subtly communicating then is not only do I have the power to, to create, just, just realize that what I'm accomplishing through this is that there's creation, there is some destruction that happens in the midst of that, but there's all recreation, and it's all together a part of the same plan. When we look in front of us and we think, gosh, that feels like the opposite, and God says, no, it's all part of the same plan. 
right? He says, do you trust that I have the ability to recreate it? And now if God were to force us to answer that question, how would you respond? I think I would probably say, yeah, okay, I get it. I get it that you're, you're bigger than me, that your plan exceeds me. I get that. And so if you're going to force me to answer, I will say yes. But here's why I think it's oftentimes a struggle for us as humans is because what God is doing is that he's unfolding this story. It's like he hands you one piece of the puzzle, out of 10 million. <laughs> and he's like, here you go. There's the next part of the plan. And you're like, cool, cool. What's happening in this piece? You know, like I can barely tell what's happening in this piece. And where does it fit? And God's like, trust me, it fits. And you're like, I, okay. You know, like the plan, we never know the full plan. We, can never, we only have these little glimpses and pieces. And here's the other piece of that, right, is that as you're holding this puzzle piece, this is just the humanity, right, exposed, is that oftentimes we think of this and we go, okay, God, here's the plan you've given me. Does this fit into the, the puzzle that I would create? Right? How, how does this fit into the story that I would write if I could write it, right? And so there's these, these struggles that we have with, with, with this plan that's being revealed. And so here's the beauty of what God's going to do. God's going to invite Jeremiah into the hidden things, the special plan. Look at verse 3. There's, look, there's so much like compassion and encouragement here from God. He says, call to me, and guess what? We'll never talk again. No, that's not what he says. He says, call to me, and I will answer you. You see, for the bulk of Jeremiah's career, he's been the, the instrument or the vocal piece for God. God is communicating to Jeremiah, which is then communicated to the rest of the people, and God says, hey, this isn't for other people. This is for you and for me. Let's talk. I will reveal to you. And what will I reveal? I will reveal or tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. I see there's this knowledge that God has, this plan, this God-sized knowledge that only God has that's hidden from us. It's a plan that only he has and that only he knows, right? And so when we think about the idea of hidden, we're like, well, gosh, like that's not very helpful. Like, God, if you really loved us, you'd communicate everything. Well, the reality is, is that we couldn't even grasp it in its fullness. We can barely grasp the puzzle piece. That's right in front of us. We can see the rubble, and that's just about it in our lives. We have a hard time seeing the bigger picture. And so this word hidden here uh, in Hebrew, at its most like, basic form, means to be cut off. So like, this is who we are. Like, we are cut off from that knowledge. And in part, that's due to the, to the creation story and the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, right? Because they had this special privileged relationship. What happens? Sin enters into the world. That relationship is broken. So what they were privileged to before is not what they're privileged to afterwards, right? But they weren't ever able to fully grasp or understand or even know the full plan of God. That's just only a piece of it. The bigger piece, right, is that God is omniscient, omnipresent, um, like all-powerful. Like he's, he's all these big words that we can use to describe him, right? And this is who God is, and then this is us, you know, who like sweat and don't brush our teeth and stink and smell, right? Is God and the meager human. He's like, this is just part of the problem, right? right? This is the plan. It's been hidden. But I think that for us, what we do is that when we don't know the full plan of God, what we do is that we fear what we're cut off from. We fear what's behind the curtain because we are fearful that that plan won't fit into our plan. And what God says is whether or not that's true or not, here's what I need you to know. The things that are behind the curtain are great. 
They are amazing and they are good. So they're not just hidden, they are great things. What's in store for you and what's in store for humanity, which you can't yet know, is so good. It's so great. But by the way, Jeremiah, this God-sized knowledge that I have, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this tiny little piece of it, and I'm going to invite you into the plan. And it's this beautiful, relational thing that God offers, right? Because for so many of us, guys, it's so easy. Like we hear, like a couple weeks ago, we did Jeremiah 29, 29 11, where God says, like, I have these great and amazing plans to, to prosper you and to grow you. And you're like, cool. Do you, though? Do you actually have those plans? Because it's been a week and nothing has changed. I mean I, I mean, I prayed at least twice in the last week, and nothing has changed, right? Like, there's this, there's this expectation that we have with God. And so we take God, and we package him in this box, and then we try to fit him into our story. And it takes like, like opening that box and allowing us to see and experience the greater reality of who God is and the plan that he has before we can really understand it. Uh, here's an example. Um, when I was in high school or college, I can't remember um, how old I was, but my family had the opportunity to go to Italy. And one of the things that we did is that we went uh, to the Sistine Chapel. I'm an art guy, I love art, and so I appreciate that. And so I thought, oh, this is going to be pretty cool, right? But I kind of had this packaged expectation of what that, what that would look like. And as I entered into that room and looked up, it was like my eyes were opened. I was like, this is, like, no picture can capture this. It, it's incredible. And this is just something a human did. <laughs> Think about the Hubble telescope and the way that it's, like, it's floating away into the abyss <laughs> with every second. It keeps going, right? There it goes. And as it was going, it was sending these snapshots, these pictures of how big and vast God is. And it's when you see that, as we take God out of that box, we begin to go, man, who am I to question God, to begin to see the greatness of who he is and the plan that he has, even though it's hidden, we can trust that it's great. God has this God-sized knowledge, and he invites us into it. He invites Jeremiah into it. But here's the, here's the struggle with humanity, which I'm sure was the struggle with Jeremiah, because it's the struggle for us. It's this, is that, God, I get it. You got a plan, but here's the problem. I have a hard time seeing the vision of that plan. I have a hard time seeing the renovated house, because all I can see is the struggle in front of me. All I can see is this rubble, this dilapidation, this ruin, this frustration that exists in my life. And so this is the circumstance that, that God is speaking to Jeremiah, because it makes sense when you read this story to begin to understand the circumstance of what Jeremiah is in, why this would be such a struggle. Look at verse 4. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword, they are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath, for I have hidden my face from the city because of all their evil. 
Okay, so uh, back to the board. These verses are actually somewhat of a challenge to translate in Hebrew, but as best as we can understand, here's what's happening, okay? This represents a two-dimensional um, wall, uh, the Jerusalem wall uh, that would have separated the army, you know, hence the box and the sword uh, of Chaldeans, the Babylonians who are outside the city walls and the houses of all of the people inside the walls, okay? So as best as we can understand, here's what happens, is that these people over here who are laying siege to the city over time, which by the way, at this point, um, Nebuchadnezzar has been laying siege to the city for about a year. Can you imagine that? Just stop for a second. Like what it's like to live inside of the city walls while people are attacking you for a year from the outside. Okay? And here's what they're eventually doing. What they're doing is that over time, they're building up the sand and dirt, and they move it towards the wall. Because as they do that, they're creating a ramp for them to get into the city. Now, it doesn't go all the way over the top of the wall because it doesn't need to. Because as soon as you get to this point, you have this much weight pushing against the wall. And so what happens is that this begins to crack and buckle, okay? So what do you do if you're these people? You run to your houses, you take the very stones from your house and you pile them against the wall. And this is how, of their own volition, of their own doing, right? This is strange because the, the Babylonians didn't destroy their homes, who did? They did, of their own volition, to, to build this, this, this pressure back against the wall so that this doesn't cave in. Imagine living in this type, then, of a scenario where you are now, in some sense, homeless in your own city for a year, right? You part with not just the, the things from the walls, but you, who knows, maybe you end up like throwing that favorite chair, that favorite desk against the wall, just because anything might help. Right? And so what they end up doing is they end up deconstructing their own homes in order to save their city. And so if you're Jeremiah, right, because then what happens is you zoom back over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah has been prophesying destruction for how many years now? A long time. Yeah, like we find out later is that Jeremiah, God's called Jeremiah, was that he would preach for 40 years and that no one would listen. Sounds fun. Right? Awesome. Yeah, I'll take that job, you know. 40 years, and here he is. If you zoom back over to Jeremiah, here's what you find, is that you find Jeremiah. There's nothing that Jeremiah can do other than sit on the floor, his back against his prison cell, his head in his knees, and listen and hear the sounds of war. All of the wrath that God has promised is coming true, and you hear the clanging, the clashing, the wailing, the mourning, so much so that dead bodies end up filling the streets. You feel pretty helpless. And if you were in the shoes of Jeremiah, if I was in the shoes of Jeremiah, I think that no matter the picture that God would create, it would be hard to see past the rubble. 
right, to see past the struggle that's right in front of us. And the reality is, is that for us, as we kind of pull back from this same story, and we think applicationally, the same is true for us, right, because we have people who are struggling in their marriage. We have people who are struggling with their job, financial things, homelessness, addiction friends, whatever that is, we have these struggles. And the further we get away from Easter, right, that joy begins to fade because what we can see is the struggle that still exists right in front of us. And we praise God, we do, for all of the forgiveness, but we kind of lose sight of the vision and what we focus on is the struggle that's right here in front. And the same would be true for Jeremiah, right? Because even when there's a plan, it's hard to know what that's going to look like, right? And really, the only thing we can see is what life looks like in front of us, which is not the way that God says that it should be. And so here's the hope that, that God offers Jeremiah in verse 6. There's this really quick shift and change uh, in the writing here because it goes from this massive struggle to this beautiful hope in verse 6. It says, Behold, I will bring to it health and healing, and I will heal them and reveal to them uh, the abundance of prosperity and security. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. Right? There's this beautiful picture as God's saying, gosh, like in contrast to the dilapidated ruin of Jerusalem, there will be a time, Jeremiah, here's what I need you to hear, there will be a time when I'm going to rebuild this city, and it will be great, and it will be grand. And we go, well, God, if that's the case, <laughs> um, why is it that we didn't just like, whoop, jump this time period and go to that one? You know, like leapfrog the hard stuff and go right to the good stuff. And the reality is, is that because God is holy, he has to punish sin. This has been the pattern. You just go through and read Judges, right? Good relationship, idolatry, sin, frustration, punishment, comes back into good, back into bad, back into good, right? And this is the pattern. And God says, gosh, this is not a pattern I'm okay with. We need to create real and lasting change. Uh, rebuilding the walls of the city is not good enough. So here's what I want to do. I want to cleanse you, and I want to forgive you. Look at this heart piece, right? This just builds right out of last week as well in Jeremiah 31. In verse 8, he says, I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. That's a pretty powerful thing, right? All the rebellion, everything that's led to this point, God says, I'm going to forgive it. I'm going to move on. And this city, as a result, shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and prosperity that I provide for it. What I picture in this moment, which by the way, the result, God says, okay, I formed the earth. I'm going to establish it or accomplish something. What that's going to look like is going to have something to do with the cleansing of my people and the forgiveness of sins. And the result of that doing is going to impact the entire world. And I picture the beginning of Acts as, as the disciples are moved into the world, and it says, like, the gospel goes here, and then it goes there, and then it goes here, and then it goes there, and by the way, at the end, it goes everywhere. You see, this is the plan that God is enacting, that God is working out, but it starts with this promise, this hope that there will be forgiveness and cleansing. But he says, in that day, when that happens, here's what it's going to look like. Just read about the relationship here in verse 10. 
He says, here's, here's what you can see, Jeremiah. When you look at Jerusalem, you see it is a waste without man or beast. In the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man or inhabitant or beast. In that space, when that's all that you can see, here's what I want you to know. As the result of this cleansing and this forgiveness, here's what it's going to sound like. There shall be heard again the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, the voices of those who sing as they bring thank offerings to the house of the Lord. You see, a wall is nothing unless there's people inside. And there's this community of people that God envisions as a result of this promise is it's going to be like a bridegroom relationship, this husband and wife who are brought back in the right relationship in this marriage covenant. And then it's in that very relationship that's actually going to impact the entire world. And it's this beautiful, incredible picture that God invites us into. And you go, well, how in the world does that happen? Well, it points us obviously to Jesus. Look at verse 14. This is what God says. He says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. Okay, we're going to come back to that, but just know what he's talking about is he's talking about the promise he's going to make to them, or did make, which will ultimately be fulfilled in Jesus. But just to wrap your mind around this, because this is hard, but it's important, okay? So you go all the way back to the beginning of those covenants with Abraham, like we talked about last week. Right around Abraham is around the year... um, 2000 BC. Okay, can you try and wrap your mind around that for a second? Roughly 4,000 years ago, right? And you don't remember what you had for dinner, you know, two days ago, okay? 4,000 years ago. So 2000 BC, we're now at the story, this point in the story, Jerusalem falls around 586, 587 BC. So from that first promise about this promised Messiah up until this moment in history with Jeremiah, it's about 1,400 years. That's a long time. Stating the obvious We know that because this is how B.C. and A.D. works, that Jesus doesn't actually come, who's the fulfillment of that promise, doesn't actually come for another what? 600 years. So by the time the promise starts and by the time the promise ends is how long? 2,000 years. And God's saying, trust me, I have a vision. And you're like, God, I get impatient when the guy in front of me doesn't even know how to order a burrito. Like, he gets to the front, and he's like, hmm, I'm going to have beans. No, I want peppers. Give him a number five, and let's move on. (laughs) Like, get him out of the way. He's a rookie orderer. He doesn't even know what he wants. Let's move on with life. I'll take a number six. I'm hungry. You know, like, like this is how we oftentimes operate. Like we're so impatient. And when you think about time, time is very important to us. And I want to give you two quick things as to why this is hard for us. Because God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fulfill this plan, but by the way, it's going to take 2,000 years. I think there's, there's a couple of reasons why this is hard for us. One is because time is incredibly important to us. Dare I say that time in American Christianity has become an idol for many people. Because what we want to do is that we fill out our schedules, we are so stinking busy, and then we take the God who's been working for 2,000 years plus as a part of this plan, and we say, God, I've got 20 minutes on Thursday. Can you take the vastness of who you are and that plan and just squeeze it in right over here? 
put it in. God's like, man, Seth, I'm bigger than that. This is an all-the-time type of a thing, right? Time is really hard for us. By the way, I heard this said a long time ago. It's stuck with me ever since. This is anecdotal, but write it down. Your schedule should never be so busy that you miss the ordinary, mundane rhythms of Jesus in everyday life. How can we multiply a Jesus-like way of life if we don't have the time to live like Jesus? It's hard because time is too important to us at times. The second thing that makes us so hard about time is that we assume that we know what God is doing. And what happens when we assume what God is doing, if we say, okay, God, I get it, you're going this way, when in reality he's going this way, but we say, God, I get it, I think you're going this way. And when we assume that we know what God is doing, we create entirely wrong timelines and entirely wrong sequence of events. And here we are living according to this, thinking that God is doing this, when in reality he's doing this. And what happens? is that I get cold and frustrated and hurt and down. And the irony of the situation is that that came from me because I assumed I knew what God was doing when in reality he was going the opposite way. You see, that's the way that people oftentimes felt. Like think about the, the, the circumstances here. God, you said you were doing this and you, you want to bring, you plans to succeed us and now there's destruction? Like what's going on? And God goes, gosh, guys, it's all part of the same plan. And it's great. And it's for the goodness of you. It's for the goodness of the world. And what happens in these moments is that when we assume that we know what God is doing, it leads us to a dangerous place because the people here in verses 23 and 24, their assumption is this, is that God has now rejected us. And what God says is, guys, that couldn't be further from the truth. This is not about rejection. This is about me fulfilling my plan. My covenant promises can never be broken. Check this out in verse 19. Here's what he says. He says, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken. Okay, here's what he's doing. He's saying, uh, there's this thing called gravity. If you can break that then you might break my covenant. You see, for the Hebrew people, right, what happened is, is that they assumed, or for many people throughout the course of history, we assumed that the earth was the center. And as the sun comes up, as it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, it gives the appearance that it's setting. And so we think that we're the, set, the, the center of this universe. But it wasn't until Copernicus in 1543 that he discovered that, gosh, we're not the center. The sun is the fixed point in this relationship. And we go around the sun because of this thing called gravity. So if you think of this as like the earth, right? It's like if we were to do this, and if we were to do an experiment and drop this 10 times, right? 10 out of 10 times, what's it going to do? It's going to fall to the floor. Like at no point in dropping this orange is it going to fly and hit Brady, Right? By the way, if you struggle with trusting God, here's a really easy exercise to do at home. Oh, yeah. I can trust God. You know why? Because the same principles that govern the laws of physics, the laws of gravity, are the same things that govern God because he cannot be broken. This is the way that it is. And if you want, again, more proof, look at verse 15. 
in those days and at that time I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Guys, I'm pretty sure Jesus did that. This has already been fulfilled. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely and this is the name by which it will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. What is that other than the Old Testament version of the gospel. You see, what I love about this story is that Jeremiah is just a piece in the plan, and the Babylonians are just a piece in the plan, but Jesus is the plan. And when it comes to the rubble in our lives, here's so oftentimes what we end up doing. We take, we see all of this stuff that's happening in our life and everything that's causing destruction and we deconstruct our own life and we start throwing things in attempt to deal with the problems. And they're not bad things, but what we miss is the gospel. And what we miss is this idea of cleansing and forgiveness and the way that Jesus enters in and says, my promises to you will never be broken. He says, I want to invite you into the story of great and hidden things, which you find it right in the midst of your chaos and your rubble. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, as we wrap up this morning, as we sing a final song, uh, Lord, uh, I don't know where people are at in this room. I know that people, uh, some people are just really, really struggling, and for some people, that's a bigger struggle, and for some people, it's a smaller struggle, but I know that every single person in this room has some type of rubble and ruin in their life that's hard for us to look past, and what you end up doing is that you show us, you're saying, gosh, there's a, there's a vision of a life that's bigger and better than what you're experiencing right now, but would you trust me? It might take longer than an orange falling to the ground. It might be a two-minute thing, and it might be a 2,000-year thing, but God is saying, gosh, my promises can never be broken. Would you trust me in the midst of the plan, and in the midst of that struggle, would you find Jesus and remind yourself of how good that is right now? Amen.